Grace to you and peace to you from God our Father and from our Savior, the humble one, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The text that we have for our sermon is the familiar account of the triumphal entry. The king comes and he comes lowly, riding on a donkey. From Matthew chapter 21, we hear verses 1 through 9. Please stand as we hear these words in Jesus' name. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples telling them, Go to the village ahead of you. Immediately you will find a donkey tied there along with her colt. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you are to say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king comes to you, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their outer clothing on them, and he sat on it. A very large crowd spread their outer clothing on the road. Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them out on the road. The crowds who went in front of him and those who followed kept shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And we pray, O Lord, give us hearts that rejoice in you and in your advent, your coming. Help us to not be offended, but to rejoice in the humble, lowly ways that you choose to come to us. Amen. Please be seated. Some of you might know, I personally love finding under-the-radar places to go visit, to go eat at, to go shopping at. If someone comes up to me and says, hey, pastor, you got to try this you got to go check this place out. I know it doesn't look like much from the outside, but let me tell you how great it is. Someone tells me that, I'm all ears. I'm all in to go try it. And I've discovered some pretty awesome things. So for instance, the world's greatest apple fritter donut, at least in my opinion, is in this dingy, dark little bakery in a small town in South Dakota. The greatest fishing spot I've ever found and ever fished at was right next to this ugly culvert in this especially littered, smelly place down on the river. The, uh, the best place to find cool, old, vintage t-shirts is in this, this musty, smelling thrift store in South Central Idaho. In each of these cases, I rolled up to this place, and in my mind, I said, what? No way, this can't be right. This can't possibly be as good as I was told. Just look at this place. And yet, in each of these instances, what I was told was true. The outward, external appearances were deceiving because what I found inside was something that was downright amazing, astounding incredible. An interesting thing happens when you face a situation like this. As you're standing in front of some place and you're thinking to yourself, what? No way. This can't be right. In order for you to find out 
whether it's true or not, you order, in order for you to, to give it a chance, you have to humble yourself. You have to set aside your own preconceived notions. You have to set aside your biases. You have to set aside your own instincts when you look at that outward appearance. And you have to trust what someone told you about that place. And this is something that can be really hard to do at some places. When you're looking at these places, and they are very lowly, humble, dingy looking. It would be easy for us to maybe just walk right on past and say, uh-uh, no thanks. But then, if we did that, we would be missing out on some amazing life-changing treasures that are found within those places. As we enter this season of Advent, we are asked to be willing to do this. You are asked to be willing to humble yourself, to set aside your preconceived notions, your biases, your, your instincts when you are looking at the outward appearances and to instead trust what God tells you. And this is something that can be really hard to do. And again, this is something that requires us to set aside our own pride to stop listening to ourselves and to what our brains are telling us and to instead listen to what God says. In our text for today, we, we see something like this. The outward appearance seems all backwards. Who is this? This is the divine Savior King coming. And yet, what does his advent look like? What does his coming look like? Look, your King comes to you humble, riding on a donkey. By all human standards, God was doing everything wrong, wasn't he? He was missing a great opportunity here to impress everyone. He could have borrowed Elijah's fiery flying chariot and Jesus could have cruised into Jerusalem on that. He could have had the legions of angels lining the streets, blasting their horns so everyone would know who this was coming into town. He could have had Jesus transfigured before the entire city of Jerusalem instead of just those three poor fishermen on the mountaintop. But that's not how Jesus comes. Jesus instead comes in humility. He comes humbly. He enters Jerusalem riding upon a borrowed donkey with his ragtag crew of followers. And he was being welcomed not by the rich and famous, the powerful, but by the lowly and poor. He was being welcomed by outcasts and even notorious sinners. Is this what we should expect from the Son of God, from the great King to the ways of human thinking, to the ways of the world, this seems so completely, utterly backwards. But such is the case with Jesus and with his word and really with God's whole plan of salvation. It's not at all what man would expect. So do not be deceived by these humble appearances. Do not be offended by these humble appearances. This humility and humbleness, in fact, I would argue that we see in Jesus, it actually points us to the fact that he is a great king. Hear me out. For instance, 
If, if someone was courageous, how would you know if that person was courageous unless that person experienced some sort of fearful, difficult situation? Courage is a virtue only for those who experience fear, but then overcome it. Well, the same thing goes here when we're talking about the virtue of humility and of humbleness. It's a virtue only possible for those who have grounds for pride, those who have glory and power, but then do not flaunt them. Someone who is forced into humility, someone who is humiliated, or someone who just doesn't have much wealth or possessions, that doesn't make them by default humble people or having this virtue of humility, no. But the person who does possess these things, a person who does possess glory and honor, but then chooses to lower himself, who then chooses to point away from himself and to put others before himself, to use his glory and power for the sake of others, that is the high virtue of humbleness and humility. And dear friends, that's something that should never be scoffed at. Instead, that's something we should celebrate and admire. And that's what we see in our Savior Jesus. Do not join those who scoffed at Jesus because of his humble appearance, because he approaches us with this kind of humility. Do not let your, your earthly human perception deceive you about God's divine truth of who this person is. Many people have made this mistake, even people that were walking and talking with Jesus. Think about the Pharisees, for instance. They denied Jesus. They hated the fact that Jesus associated with sinners and tax collectors, with the weak and the meek, that he didn't respect them and their honor and glory. He didn't respect the pharisaical additions that they had made to God's law. He didn't fit the image in their minds of what the Messiah was supposed to look like, what he was supposed to do, how he was supposed to act. And so they scoffed at him. They rejected him. Or remember the crowds out in the wilderness, the more than 5,000 that Jesus fed in that miraculous way with five loaves and two small fish? <coughs> Jesus had to run away from them. And he had to chastise them because they wanted a bread king. They wanted this king that would provide for all of their earthly needs rather than the king that would provide food that endures to eternal life. These were people who were scoffing at the eternal salvation that Jesus was most interested in bringing to us. Or even think about Peter, the chief disciple, Jesus' best friend. Peter himself he was constantly getting mixed up ideas about Jesus throughout Jesus' earthly ministry. He would pull Jesus aside. No, stop it. Be quiet, Jesus. Don't be talking about going and suffering and dying. We will not let that happen to you. Peter even held on to this selfish kind of attitude in the garden when Jesus was being arrested. Peter whips his sword out and starts flailing because he wanted things his way. His plan was better than the plan that God had. Dear friends, even consider the most powerful and most moving example of Jesus' humbleness and humility. When he becomes obedient 
even to death, death on a cross. The Son of God, the world's true king, nailed to a pathetic, gruesome cross to suffer and die. To many people who were watching this event unfold on Good Friday, they thought it was preposterous. They thought it was completely foolish. And they let him know about it. They taunted him. Matthew records, what is this? He saved others. Can't he save himself? If he really is the king of Israel, let him come down now from the cross, and then we'll believe in him. Again, they were scoffing at the humility, the humbleness of Jesus. These are all examples of people who were deceived by the outward, humble appearances. And dear friends, realize that this is a trap that Satan lays for you and me as well. This is a temptation that we fall to. How many times have you acted like a Pharisee, getting upset with Jesus when he doesn't live up to the image that you have created in your mind of what he's supposed to be like, of how he's supposed to function, of the people that he's supposed to associate with? Or do you ever act like those crowds demanding that Jesus be your bread king, that he should be giving you everything that you want here in this world? Do we approach him demanding, my will be done, not yours? Or do we act like Peter, kicking and screaming because we selfishly want to determine what God should be doing? Don't you know, God, that my plan is best? My will be done, not yours. Do we also ever fall into the trap like the crowds on Good Friday who look at Jesus and might think, how weak? How pathetic this is, as I see him dying upon the cross. Jesus still, today, comes to you and me in ways that people might think are weak. And we might be even tempted to scoff at these ways that Jesus has designed to come to you today through a message found in this old book, through something as simple as water or a wafer and a little bit of wine. Are we tempted to say these things, uh, they're not that special, they're not that important? Are we scoffing at the means of grace? Or are we saying, no, this is what God has said. And even though external appearances might seem humble, there is power here. Jesus had all glory. He had all power. And yet he chooses to humble himself. He made this choice to come into our world in poverty, and he explains that he does this so that you and I might become eternally rich. There's this great verse, St. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's not something to scoff at. Jesus came in humility. He came in humbleness. And that's a wonderful, glorious thing for you and me. Because it means that you and I will have the opposite. We will have glory and exaltation ourselves forever in heaven. And this has always been God's plan. That he would come in lowliness and humility. And God said so in the words of the Old Testament, in the words of the prophet. That's why... Matthew, in our text, here at the triumphal entry, 
He quotes the prophet Zechariah. Look at this, this scene on Palm Sunday, this lowly king riding into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, but who is it? God said we should expect it. Through the pen of Zechariah the prophet, behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So in other words, God is saying, I know it's not going to look like much, but check this out. Trust me, it's the king. It's the Messiah. Well, remember when John the Baptist was in prison and he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask Jesus, are you the one? How does Jesus respond? Are you really the one that we are supposed to be looking for? Or is there another? Jesus points back to God's word, to the, to the prophet Isaiah, and says, well, what did God tell you to look for? You find these things in me. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them. Yes, I am the one you are, you are waiting for. Or even think about that time when, when Jesus suffered that most lowly, humble, humiliating circumstance as he goes to the cross to suffer and die. Even there, God told his people, watch for this, expect this very thing. Again, through the, the pen of Isaiah the prophet, Jesus became the suffering servant who was stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Our sinful human nature, it wants to try and scoff at the humble appearances of our Savior Jesus. It wants to say, this isn't right, this is really the king that you want to have, it will try and tell you no. You know better. You can even do better than this. But that's all a lie. Don't buy into it. The outward appearances might not be what people expect, but it is what you and I should expect because God in his miraculous word has told us to expect it. And he wants us to accept it when we see it. In the season of Advent, we put down our own pride. We are encouraged to set aside our own ideas, our own perceptions, our own wants, to set aside any scoffing or skepticism when it comes to these things. We are encouraged to instead take up this virtue of humility and humbleness ourselves as we direct ourselves into God's word and listen to what God says. And that enables us to then proclaim yes, this is, in fact, my king. In spite of the humble ex uh, appearances, in spite of the circumstances and this plan of salvation that doesn't conform to the ways of this world. And thanks be to God that it doesn't. Because he came in such a way, setting aside his riches, he became poor for you. Unworthy sinner though you are, so that you might share forever in his riches. He came into this world with true humbleness and humility for you. Thinking how he entered into the world. We'll be talking about that more at Christmas time. He, he lowered himself, taking on our own human flesh and blood to become our brother in order to save us. He came into our world to live a holy, perfect life for you. Never once did he doubt or scoff at God's plan. Never once did he become proud or prideful. 
He was always one who possessed true, God-pleasing humility and humbleness. And he did that for you and me. His life is now shared with us so that it is our righteousness. We heard about that in our Old Testament lesson. That one who would come and then his people would be called by his name, the Lord, our righteousness. You and now sit under that banner, that title, ourselves, because of Jesus. And as for all of our sins, he humbled himself. He came into this world in humility and lowliness. He goes to the cross and pays the ultimate price to pay for every single time where you and I might have scoffed at God, where we lacked humility, where we were proud and prideful. He paid for every single one of your sins. How great it is that he was willing to humble himself so that you and I might be exalted. And we rejoice in the fact that, that our Lord also rose from the dead. And that assures you and me that the day is coming when we are going to have that exaltation ourselves, to triumph out of the graves, to laugh in the face of death and say, you've lost, I'm alive with my Savior and will be forevermore in heaven. Even though the rest of the world might scoff at Jesus and in the lowly, humble ways that he comes, at his humble, lowly appearance, we listen to him. And we double down on what Paul encouraged us to do in our epistle lesson. We put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We are excited to welcome him, even this one who comes in lowliness. We are excited and we too join with that crowd on Palm Sunday, singing that beautiful Palm Sunday hymn. And, and we will be doing that in just a few moments. Every time we take the Lord's Supper, as Jesus is coming to us, we sing those words. We join them in saying, the humble appearances don't matter because this is my Savior. Hosanna, save us, son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Yes, he comes humbly. But our salvation is found in him. And so in this Advent season, we also want to take on humble hearts that rejoice in the fact that we have a humble Savior and King. All glory be to him. Amen. And the peace of God that passes all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus to life everlasting. Amen. <laughs>